Nebraska is back. Number one in the college volleyball polls, breaking a years-long losing streak against Wisconsin, undefeated in every game that matters, and then some. You bet your bottom dollar. So shall it be written, so shall it be done. Volleyball runs through the state of Nebraska. You're darn right it does. That's the open. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, Wisconsin fans feel bad. Feel very bad. Feel awful. You're down horrendous. No way you're coming back. The thing is, the thing is, like Wisconsin could totally still beat this volleyball team, like in the games that matter down yeah. the stretch, and I wouldn't care because so much hype went into this game, and because they were so cocky on social media. I just like I don't care. Yeah. Or, or, like I, I want us to win a national championship. I will be sad. Like I'm not saying I don't care, but like this knowing that they could come back, come back and beat us in the end, does not put a damper on this win at all for me. No, same here. They can get us in Wisconsin on Black Friday or whenever we play again. And, you know, that'd sting, but, like, is that going to make the good feeling of the win go away? Is that going to make the game of the century any less game of the century? No. No, no. Because it was. It was the game of the century, and, like, everything, everything mattered. The media attention on the game was huge. The beef between these fan bases has never been higher. And I hope they feel awful. I hope they feel ashamed to be themselves. I hope it's difficult for them to look themselves in the mirror. Uh, yeah. I mean, all, all of the classic rivalry things. It's, it feels like that's the biggest rivalry that Nebraska has in sports right now. And it won't bleed over to football. It just won't. Unless, unless they stay good and we get better. Because, like, even if we beat them this year, it won't bleed over to football. Uh, no. These are two. And and this is something that I think the Big Ten West will be missed for, is, like, deeply intense women's sports rivalries. Yeah. Um, I hate Iowa's volleyball fans more than I hate their football fans. And I they hate don't Wisconsin have volleyball football. fans, Nick. <laughs> they have a few. I hate their basketball fans a lot. Yeah. Mostly I hate Caitlin Clark. But she, like she ruined all goodwill for me, almost through no fault of her own, other than being good. But it was the Big Ten uh, tournament game against Nebraska a couple years back, where they interviewed her parents for the entire quarter when the game was still close. Yeah, it, it I was just like I, I I hope you fail so no one ever has to sit through that again. Yeah, I mostly what I want uh, when I was like I hate Caitlin Clark was when she went on her little Big Ten media moment, and she was like, oh, Nebraska feels like another home game for us. And it's like, oh, man, like, I, that's that's a level of disrespect and a level of nonchalance about that disrespect that, like, when LSU beat them, I was so happy, and I really hope they repeat, and I really hope they do even worse things to them when they win this time. Speaking of other home games, uh, Iowa's volleyball uh, court, whatever, is pathetic. It is, is it awful. really? Yeah. Their student section is no lie two couches, and they couldn't even fill them. N- not Ooh. a bench, not bleachers, 
two couches, and they couldn't even get enough people to Ooh, fill them. Because at, even at a at a at a Nebraska women's basketball game, the student section's pretty good. Yep. Yep. That's shameful. That's shameful. And more than that, it's wrong. They couldn't even sell out their football stadium, which holds like thirty thousand less than ours does, for a Ooh. sport where their team was literally the national runner up a year ago in. You couldn't even fill the place. Yeah. Kinnick, wave goodbye to your fans. <laughs> Can I just say, that's the, that, like, some people be like, this is the best tradition in college football. I think it's stupid. I think it's dumb. You, you built a stadium that happened to have a hospital next to it. Any fan base in America would have a nice moment with the kids. You're not special. It's not Iowa nice, right? If you think Iowa nice is real, tell that to that Iowa fan I saw, who I know I've talked about on the pod, punching a 70-year-old man in Memorial Stadium. Iowa nice isn't real. It's not even Iowa hate week, and I'm already like, okay, okay, let's, let's, let's put it this way. We are at five wins. And if you told me we could win out except for the Iowa game or beat Iowa and be the reason that Brian Ferentz gets fired, that they finally have to be like, oh, our Game of Thrones-ass nepotism doesn't work. We have to have, like, a competent coach here. I would take the latter. I would rather see 6-6 six and six beating Iowa and Nebraska than what would it be? It would be, like, literally, like, 8-8 eight, eight and Four? Yeah, eight and four. I would take six and six over eight and four if the six and six meant we be- we beat Iowa. Okay. Here's my counter proposal. I don't want to lose to Iowa in anything ever. Okay. okay. But if we can keep Brian around another year. Uh, the memes alone. Yeah, the memes alone are worth it. And just... <laughs> Like, what I do you say? All that work to get out of the pit only to be drugged back in would be so funny. So, like, I, I don't, if, if we had to take one for the team, I wouldn't be dejected on that, given that, you know, it's not going to be another one year race to the finish. Brian's going to be locked in that for the next three because of who his dad is. And he can point to the results. Like, I won the last Big Ten West. We're in scary new times in the conference and college football. Yada, yada, yada. And plus, I beat Nebraska, who w- was hot going into that game. So, that means I was gettable for, like, the next two years if we lose this one. I totally, like, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I just don't agree with you. Like, the thing is that, like, Brian leaving means that Kirk Ferentz has to work with a new offensive coordinator who he can't just tell what to do. And a new offensive coordinator at Iowa is someone who's going to want to play offense. And that's something that Kirk doesn't want to do. And so like, I genuinely believe that the reason Kirk has been so like, my son is not leaving this school is not because he loves his kid. Look into that man's eyes and tell me that he has the capacity for love. He absolutely does not. Right. It's not, it's not about family. Right. It's it's not about that. It's about the fact that Brian's his little boy and will do whatever he says. 
And if the reality is that you want to run it up the middle three times against some of the best run defenses in the country, your kid is like honor and family bound to go out and do that. It's a game of thrones, man. It is a feudal way of thinking. Kirk Ferentz has a fiefdom in Iowa City. And if his son is removed as master of coin, like the entire thing starts to crumble right there. I, I, I think I think his days are numbered the minute Brian gets fired. Because an offensive coordinator going out and making good points about how he's not getting the support he needs. Again, like the, the Iowa philosophy has been we don't need an offense. That's a terrible way to run a football team. And they've been lucky because their coach happens to be like the best defensive coordinator in the country. But like, I, tr- I truly believe that the reason Brian has been, it's, 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 it's what Nepo babies are for, right? Is like, if you put them there, you have complete control over it and you don't have to think about it, but you also have a scapegoat for it. Right? Like the Ferences are the bushes of college football. And I, I think you're seeing how that's playing out. We need a Jeb. Where's Jeb Ferentz at? It's Jeb, Jeb Ferentz is Brian, clearly. Please so, clap for the Kirk seven Dubna points he's scoring. Or the dead one. The, the dead one, because he's so old. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other thing. I, I feel like that he has been coached there for so long. The like the stadium will crumble when they put him in the crypt underneath it, right? Like it would be like if if Tom Osborne never stopped doing his job. Like when he when he retires and dies on the same day, like the whole thing is just gonna fall over with a strong gust of wind. It's very funny that uh, in the uh, in in for what is the central focus of this podcast. This is the most happy, happy, fun times there's ever been since we've started. And we've used that to just immediately talk ish to like our two biggest rivals. We we got full of ourselves instantly after we won three (laughs) games in a row. (laughs) We've had no ability to talk shit though, right? Like none. we, we, We just haven't had that safe space. To state what uh, has happened recently to cause us to act this way for the first time since 2016 that year the Nebraska Cornhuskers have won 3 American football games in a row Count that is 1 that is 2 that is 3 these were 3 games against conference teams that were scheduled at the start of the year 3 games that none of us had us winning all 3 of them on do you want to name those teams, Justin? Illinois, the first Boo. one that we potted about. Northwestern, the Big Ten's Chaos Emerald. And Purdue. God bless your heart, Purdue. You almost, you almost were consistently good. <laughs> so close. Like a, a game that I said we would not win. Because I, I just like, I bought Purdue's stock, man. I thought that they were going to be better. Oh boy. And, and you know, people had said, like, man, if Nebraska's gonna win four more games this year, they said this after the Michigan game, they said if Nebraska's gonna win four more games this year, it might be the next four. And here we are three, three in a row. 
looking looking probably more likely than not to be them boys who win the next four. Yes. Like I just the we'll talk we'll talk more about the tone of the season. I feel like it's something we always discuss on this pod, mm-hmm. right? And and it was just like a god awful god awful start that has taken so long to feel good about. And it's a difficult team to feel good about. They play ugly, nasty, disgusting, embarrassing football, but they they win games in embarrassing fashion. Here's probably a fatal flaw in my sports fandom is that. I find the ugly parts of winning ugly very charming after you have won like that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the the uh, to borrow a metaphor from another sport, do you remember the last ten minutes of the United States men's national team's game against Iran, where they did everything humanly possible to get Iran to score a goal and they just never did, sending us to the knockout stage of the World Cup. Right. And, I like and very I think, frustrating watching that live, but after you remove it unscathed, it's like, ah, that was really cute what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I think I apologize about the background noise, folks. I'm folding laundry. Laundry has been like a problem today. Um, what I would say is this: I come so much from a soccer like soccer background as a fan that that. Soccer is a sport where people are obsessed that people play it the right way. Should you be one of the people who's playing it the wrong way, you are, like, ugly in the eyes of God. And I think that less than pro football, college football very much has that sort of, like, same aesthetic resonance about, like, there is a right way and a wrong way to play college football. And the Huskers very much play it the wrong way. And so... It's like, it's interesting to me to see which fans, and more than that, which media outlets care. Um, For instance, The Athletic, they really care that this Nebraska team is winning ugly. And that really, like, colors a lot of their coverage about them. Whereas I would say, like, Nebraska's, the tone of the national conversation around Nebraska has changed a lot, Justin. I mean, I don't know if you want to speak to that. But just over the last few weeks, I mean, it's been like a 180. Absolutely. Like, we had to, probably the worst case scenario start to the season, which was a loss to Minnesota that looked like every Scott Frost loss that ever was. Mm-hmm. And then a loss to Colorado, which made you question just how we could fall so far behind a team that was in the first year of a coaching change that was so obviously superior to what Nebraska had going. Athletically superior by far. Yes. And just the, the football product on the field looked like the future of the sport, and we looked like stuck 30 years in the past. Yeah, and and we'll circle back to this Colorado team because I know people are tired of hearing about them in Nebraska, but um, boy, oh boy, are they an interesting case study, especially against these Huskers all year long. So I refuse to stop talking about and so, yeah, Nebraska was uh, rightfully where we had been for the past seven years, which was just point and laugh because it's you're not not going to do it when they make it so easy for you. Right. And then the past three weeks, it went from the Nebraska Friday night win against Illinois 
absolutely hideous football game. It was the joke was on the Big Ten West, but not on Nebraska since they won that game. Yes. No, not a soul on earth who wasn't a fan of either team watched the Nebraska Northwestern game. A fact that I am kind of shocked hasn't happened before, but uh, I'm very glad it happened in this instance. The volleyball ratings were bigger than the football ratings for Nebraska on that day. And yeah. As, as they should have been, but Nebraska won. And if you looked at the box score or you watched any part of the game, you were like, okay, Northwestern was never really a serious threat to win that one. No. And it's worth noting, like, I, I think it's something we have to address is that the, the Big Ten basically has two ghost programs at this point, right? Like, Northwestern are always going to be a shell of their former selves. I don't know. All it proves, I'm not saying they're a bad team. I'm saying that this is, I, I think athletically, they could have had a great year. But I'm saying that, like, I think it just makes Minnesota look really bad, which thus makes our loss look really bad to Minnesota, that they beat Minnesota. But I'm not saying they're pushovers. I'm just saying that, like, I mean, it's they tough to pick Maryland, up. They just beat Maryland. Like, I I have a feeling that... uh this is something I'm borrowing from a national uh, commentator, but like towards the end there, Pat Fitzgerald might've made Northwestern a harder job than it is because, because really? he would have those one win seasons. It would be like, Oh, well, no one can do anything at Northwestern. So you just got to give it to the guy because of, of what he's done in the past off field stuff, not most standing with this, but it's like some guy who came in in the off season with uh, as much around a program as has ever been there can squeeze together conference wins that were not givens when the old guy who was supposedly this miracle worker for the school was in charge. Like I think Northwestern, they're on a positive trajectory from where they were under Pat Fitzgerald, purely on field speaking is because off the field, you can't really get much worse than that. Well, yeah. And and it's, it's too early to tell off the field. Right. True. Um, So I think, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I I I'd kind of forgotten that that Maryland win happened. Although that makes that makes that has to make Nebraska fans feel better about the the prospect of this Maryland game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I also think Lincoln's a tougher place to play this year. Yeah, no, like being at home means something, which was something you could like. It's kind of cliche to talk about the X, but like that that's something you could never say under Frost was that no this was being at home mattered in a game where again, admittedly somewhat small sample size under rule, but uh both Northwestern and Purdue were home games and both were again, games where the opponent never really threatened to win the game because you mentioned the ugly style of football. And this was something that to take a small victory lap, I sort of alluded to after the Minnesota uh, episode where I was the on the top 90th percentile of positive voices on this Husker program. <laughs> just, uh, this is kind of what I saw Matt Rule trying to do there. Get a lead and turtle. Get a yeah. lead and then just bank on however many points you have more than your opponent being an amount of points your opponent cannot score against the defense. That did not pay off against Minnesota. They had, you know, that fourth down conversion play and a couple others on the drive, impressive drive on them. 
and defense could have done better, whatever. But first game of the season was the only time that bet has not paid off for Nebraska. The past three weeks, Nebraska has got a lead, done absolutely the bare minimum on offense to adv- to get more on that lead, if not actively hinder your opportunity to do more with the lead than what you have. Mm-hmm. And therefore putting the ball in the opponent's po- possession and still feeling confident that they are not going to score points on that defense that's going to cut into that lead. They have made, they have paid that bet three times in a row. You know, okay, we, we talk a lot about what ifs on this show, and I, I think that's fair because college football is a sport of what ifs. Um, and frankly, I think if anyone's annoyed by that, they left already, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pose another what if. Um, I think that if you played that Minnesota game, even after the Louisiana Tech game, if you switch that Michigan and Minnesota game on the schedule, for instance, we're already going bowling. Yeah. Um, we, we, we picked that up easy. Agreed. And I think that, um, if you put anyone but Jeff Sims at the quarterback spot, and any human being, if you start that game with Heinrich Harburg, no, I understand that, you know, Sims maybe did a lot to get us in a position to score early in that game that maybe Harburg doesn't do. But I also think if you don't put the resources into Sims all through camp and you put that instead into replacement-level quarterback, like the argument I'm making is just that, like, I think Harburg is probably worse than the average Power 5 quarterback. Uh, I think that's like, as much as he is a hero, that has to be, I mean, I, he's yeah. a carny guy. So I always feel weird making you talk about him in like an actual football context, because I love the story of a kid from Carney doing so well. And I know that you're really wrapped up in that. So if you don't want to comment on this, I think it's totally fair. I, but what I'm saying is Nebraska can recruit a better quarterback than him. How the hell we ended up with Sims, a worse quarterback than the Carney Catholic guy is going to remain a head-scratcher and is strike one against rules recruiting record already, right? It is. My, here's, a, here's a metaphor I've had in my brain for a while, and I think it's appropriate to get off now. In the code of the game Team Fortress 2, there is a picture of a <laughs> coconut uh, labeled coconut.jpg. It is not used anywhere in the game. It is not a texture, not an image, anywhere. And in the code of the picture, it says, we have no idea why this is there, but if we delete it, the whole game crashes. I feel like that's Heinrich Harburg with this football team. You know, somehow, some way, he's here, and he's the guy who can win games like this. Because we had Sims for one series against Purdue, and he showed you that the minute you delete the coconut, the game crashes. Yeah. Like, and again, this goes back to a bad things being charming when you win. I really like us having some comic relief towards the end of the game. Like up 28 to seven, no, 24 to seven, six minutes to go. You, you know, kind of how the game is going to end. So let's just open the curtains and it's time for, you know, some BS. Nice tight five. 
<laughs> a type five. I love that. I love that. No, I guess talk to me, talk to me about your, your overall take on Sims. Cause it, it certainly seems like that arc has been, especially after, after that possession against Purdue, it's been answered, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just I number one I looked back on his old Georgia Tech stats and he was worse than I remember there mm-hmm. so I, I think we kind of got a lemon to begin with but also like to the extent that something good was there with Sims which I do think exists somewhere in his in his uh skills is like being a good quarterback you know, he's, he has the tools capable to do so. Whether it's mental or just like the pure act of God, it, it's just not going to happen for him this season in this uniform. Like honestly, that was the, uh, I want to say the fourth game he's appeared in. Either just hang up the cleats or take a red shirt and go to like a FCS school the next year. I think you could ball out at that level, Sims. I really do. If you want to keep playing this game, because I just, I, I just don't see how, like, you know, maybe he's stronger mentally than I give him credit for, but like, I just don't see how you don't expect to turn the ball over every time you touch the ball if you're from, if you're him here on out. Like Heinrich yeah. Harburg has not exactly been the bastion of ball security, but he has had less turnovers in his five games than Sims has had in his three. Yeah, and Heinrich has just had more full games at this point. Like, I think, also, I, I think that what's tough for the coaching staff is that even if they were like, oh, we really do think Jeff's the guy, and we we want to put him back in towards the end of the year after we can kind of work with him in practice, like, that's why I think the questionably real injury was a good strategy and was probably what they were looking for is like, I don't know, maybe Jeff can figure it out. Even if he does um, from here, which, which seems so unlikely Heinrich has put them in a situation where they cannot possibly do that. Like it's just, it's just not an option for this coaching staff anymore. You can't delete the coconut. Um, What I think I was, what I think I was trying to say is I think you could have a better coconut but you can't not have a coconut and Jeff Sims is an orange. Exactly. A thousand percent. I, I, right. I, like, I, I do wonder where Purdy is in all of this. If he is hurt or truly just worse than Sims and Harburg in the ways imaginable that you can't put him out there. But on the other hand, it's like until the offense either A, can't get us the lead for the defense to back up, or B, makes mistakes the caliber that Sims made against Minnesota and, you know, made against Purdue in the latter half where they're actively chipping into the lead, then I say, like, stick with what's working and see if you can't, you know, get the one more for a bowl game or the two more for seven wins or whatever, like... I I, I I think it was a fair question to ask if this team could have a higher ceiling under Jeff Sims, given just how Harburg wasn't uh, exactly the reason we won the games, but he was the reason we didn't lose. 
So yeah, you'll absolutely no, I take don't. that. I, if, if you're a Husker fan and we still have to make the argument to you that like Harburg deserved the starts and the time that he's gotten, like, I don't know what to tell you, especially after that series. If, if Sims had like gone in in the second half against Purdue and just balled out and we had won that game by 30 points because of that, that would have been a totally different situation. But like, yeah, I totally agree with you, Justin. I, I like, I'm to a point where I'm not mad at him anymore. I just wish him the best somewhere else. Yeah, and like, and and I, I there's there's a record of this on this podcast that that's not where I was at a couple of weeks ago. I was like seriously because I do think when you're in an organization like this, there is some level of like responsibility that if you're not at the level, and you're not gonna get there, figure it out. And I don't know if I was really mad at Sims because again, these are all student athletes, right? These are college kids. We are literally older than almost everyone on that field which is still a weird concept to me, but, like, listen, man, I, I don't know, like. Yeah, I, I, I do I, think, I, it's I think it's fun that, that after a 31-14 to 14 win over a conference team that we have not beat uh, since the pandemic happened, I, I, yes. I, I think it's very good for the state of the team that one drive is what we're spending an entire s- section of this podcast discussing because outside of that, not really a whole lot to, you know, extrapolate from that. Like, Oh, we learned this about the team or, and the personnel on it. No, they just did what they did the last two times again. And it yeah. worked again. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's a, it's a relief to have that. Working to the extent that it is, right? Oh, totally. Like, I I thought five wins was going to be a solid season for the first year under rule. Because, like, I, I initially was not really going to care about record too much. Part of that was I thought the rest of the Big Ten was going to be better than it turned out to be. But also, this te- I thought this team was going to be worse than it turned out to be. And, uh... Yeah, it's like, (laughs) I just wanted to see proof that something he was going to try, like his philosophy as to which he's running this program with, some proof that there's something there that works. And I've seen that now. I'm not, I'm not declaring him the savior. I'm not going to say he's going to win the Big Ten, the national championship, or even like, be consistently better than Wisconsin and Iowa going forward. I'm just saying that I have seen what I wanted to see from year one already, which is proof that he can win games at Nebraska. Like these Purdue and Illinois are conference opponents. We have had trouble beating these past few years and he's done it the first try. He's won games with an awkward, but successful coaching philosophy. So there is some, proof to the idea that he can succeed here and that's all i could have asked for from year one yeah i think from like a broader um college football standpoint too like this conference is getting harder it's getting harder fast and the reality is like how do i say this these are the easy games next year 
these are the these are the like must wins to even sniff a bowl next year and moving forward. If we if we if if we were showing that we couldn't pick these up, and I think you gotta throw Michigan State next week into that category. And I think given some of their more recent performances, even though they started the year pretty hot, I think you gotta throw Maryland into that category. You know, does a seven and five team in this iteration of the Big Ten become a six and six team in the next iteration of the Big Ten? Or does it become a five and seven team in the next iteration of the Big Ten? I don't know. But I know that things get harder from here. And I know that you want to see a coach who's on a trajectory to clean up the easy VS and take take the fight to Wisconsin, take the fight to Iowa. Because I can see the Iowa game playing out really similar to last year. And I could see it absolutely working to rules kind of attitude about football. You know, if if you really can go out there and say, we are going to score 21 points in the first quarter, uh, and hit them with three offensive concepts that seem to work for a big home run play, uh, and and then finish once we get to the red zone. Which, like, dude, I don't have the stats in front of me, but anecdotally, we are much better in the red zone last year than we were this year than we were last year. Um, and I I think that that's that's critical in any iteration of the Big Ten. Yes, and. I want to kind of take us to like where I think the next part of the, the podcast would should naturally go after this stretch, which is that uh the feeling you have now of being five and three with on a win streak of three flawed but nonetheless victorious performances. Yeah. Enjoy this. Enjoy this. Yes. Even yes. if seven and five in year one, even if the Big Ten gets a lot harder next year. You know, enjoy it right now because seven and five in year one comes with the expectation that you can be that in year two, or even if the conference gets harder, improve upon it. Like, even if he just gets one the rest of the way, playing in a bowl game will be such a high feeling for this fan base. Right. That this year is going to be looked at as a success no matter what. So my point on enjoy this right now is that, uh, next year, Presuming we don't lose out, uh, and we make a bowl game and get like six or seven or eight wins or whatever. Next year's going to come with the expectations to match or exceed that. And that is not going to be as fun to watch games with that in the back of your mind. That's true. For, from the perspective of me who thought that five would be a not terrible season. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, it's been very good to watch games with like, Obviously, you don't want to lose, but not that, like, a loss would mean something fundamental about this coach's trajectory is off. Next year, that would be the case if we start off this season with seven. And if it if it looks like we're not getting to seven or not getting to eight or whatever the goalposts are moved to, that's going to be a way worse feeling than losing like that Northwestern game would have been in this year. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the crux crux of the conversations next year is we're going to have a lot of chats about, like, should we feel that way? Because I think it will be worthwhile to say, hey, we're playing in an actual football league now, not the Big Ten West, not the, not the like, you know, 
oh, we hope everyone has fun in this league and scores some points and the winner gets to lose to the Big Ten champion. But we're going to play the real Big Ten every week for the most part next year. And, like, the Big Ten's getting harder. I just, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Enjoy this, Husker fans. And even if we finish five and seven, these three weeks were good weeks to be a Husker fan compared to the last five years. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Like, if we repeat this three-week stretch next season, we're going to be complaining about it. mm -hmm. Because, oh, it's just, you know, we're not improving like this from last year. Like, I'm not necessarily looking forward to what those conversations are going to be like last year. Existing as the record five and three and looking ahead to your schedule of, you know, the division could come down to Wisconsin and Iowa. It's obviously not this year, but it, it does let me know that like in the future, if those games or other opponents are big games, you're going to judge based on those games rather than this season, which has been judged solely on the games that we did not win under Frost and Riley that we are now picking up, yeah. you know, frequently under, enough to have a win streak. Under Riley, I feel pretty strongly this team is 4-4 four and four at best and likely to lose, you know, one of its next two to put itself in a position to lose one of the then following two to then yeah, like I both of the then following two to not make a bowl. Like Riley doesn't make a bowl with this team. Riley Riley's not in this good of a position, and Frost <laughs> Frost maybe wins that Illinois game, right? But I don't think a Frost team wins a Northwestern or Purdue game. No, like so that is just we we have entered the zone of undeniable progress and. <laughs> Can that be the name of the episode, please? Yes. I love that. The zone of undeniable progress. And so I just bring up all this future worrying just as a thing to talk about other than just like, so I don't repeat enjoy it now more than we already have because I've been enjoying this a whole bunch. Yeah. Knowing that the other shoe could drop at any moment. Knowing that I still feel... You know, that expectation of loss from the Frost and Riley days that I think losing to Michigan State and Maryland or even losing out is on the table. Even though the past few weeks signal that uh Nebraska should think of itself as better than these teams and that the team, the football team itself thinks of itself as better than those teams and has shown that the past three weeks. It's just like I have yet to turn over a new leaf in my mind on that. So like every win is great because every win under those previous coaches was great because you didn't expect to get it. And uh, I didn't expect to get all three of those. So. So if I can ask you a question real quick, like what do you think the odds are that we lose out? I I guess I have several questions. Okay. Yeah. Let's start there. What do you think the odds are that we lose out? You're shaking your head pretty vigorously. I'll give it like 10%. What makes you so confident? Like, about these particular teams. They're just just all... I think not very good is kind of true, but also kind of harsh, because it's like, I have a feeling the Big Ten 
and the Big Ten West specifically has kind of created this sludge out of these teams rather than this just being a natural, like, nobody in any of these teams knows what they're doing. I think that just existing in Iowa's orbit for the past decade has caused this sludge to permeate in every program in an interesting way. And I think that uh, Nebraska has, the past three weeks, kind of won games because they're the better team and they played the better game. And I think that the performances of Michigan State and Maryland recently have tilted in the favor of me thinking that Nebraska can do that again based on just, I cannot obviously say that the players and the scheme and those teams will produce a different result than the last three teams we have seen have done against this team. Like it all just seems like a very, like you feed this input sheet and you get the output and it's like we're, we're feeding a very similar input sheet in with those next two teams. Yeah. I, I hope you're right. I think that we are definitely better than this Michigan state team. And I think that the easiest thing to do is go out and win next week. Um, it shouldn't be hard again, uh, total mess of a team on every level right now. Um, any, any football team, that has division one talent and can execute at a division one level or let's say, let's say a power five level, right. Um, should be able, should be able to beat this team and, and, and it would be pretty embarrassing to lose. And then I, I think you'll see where I'm going with this quickly, but like Maryland's a gettable team. Uh, man, that'd be embarrassing to lose. Wisconsin's a rival. Man, that'd be embarrassing to lose because, like, sure, they're in the driver's seat of the division, but, like, you got to give them a fight because, like, they just got their clocks cleaned by Ohio State. Uh, a, like, middling Ohio State team as Ohio State teams go. Like, man, that'd be, that'd be an embarrassing one to lose big, but it's the only one left on your schedule where you could lose big. And then it always sucks to lose to Iowa because that means you didn't score three touchdowns, which is always an embarrassing place to be, even in the Big Ten West. And then when you see all four of those add up, if we do lose out, <laughs> we go right back to temper tantrum mode. Even if, and, and I'm curious what you think of this because you pay better attention than I do. Like, is there a world in which five and seven Nebraska gets a bowl? Ooh, I'd, I'd have to look at the landscape again. I know we would, we would be behind James Madison and Jacksonville State, two teams that have qualified, but would need a waiver because they're in the transition period, which is a dumb rule, but whatever. It is a dumb rule. That is a stupid ass rule. So we'd at most be third in line, depending on how the APR shakes out, but mm -hmm. you know, never say never because who knows? But yeah, it's possible. Even, even with that, I mean, like, one of the things that I've thought a lot about is, like, every first-year coach is always coaching with his job on the line in some degree. And it's not necessarily that he's going to disappear the next day. But a good year one gives you a lot of grace in year two, right? And a good year two gives you a lot of grace in year three and four. And then everybody can look at the bigger sample size and make decisions after that. Right. 
for me, I think like it's critical to rules long-term optics to get one more. And I really, really hope it can be this weekend. If it can be this weekend, it's, it's like the, it's like the, the, the like happiest possible outcome. Anything else, Husker fans will continue to find reasons. And if, if we lost the next three, which again, I, just crazy to say, I think we're gonna win the next two. Which is like, again, to say that I think that the Nebraska Huskers are gonna go on a five win streak through the middle, like the gut of the Big Ten West. Before these tough teams. And then, dude, to say that we went from laughing stocks of a bad division under Frost to legitimate division title contenders under rule in one year. Because if you go into that Wisconsin game with the division alive, I, I don't know what to tell you other than you're a division contender. Like, yeah. If, if it's possible for you in the last two weeks, and sure, I understand that the entire division is really close right now, but where you would have expected Nebraska to be under Frost is a game or two off the pace. If you want to look at it from like a baseball terminology perspective, right? Like you would not have thought that in at this point in the year, we would have been alive in this regard. Yes, absolutely. And like, while while this guy would fall on the fan base if the nightmare lose out would be uh scenario would be realized i you know for me i'd just kind of recalibrate like i'd obviously be dis- disappointed and grovel about what went wrong but like 4 to 5 is still enough proof of concept for me to have some goodwill but i know i'd be a bit unique in that regard i'd just have to sort of recalibrate what i think this team is and what I thought the opponent was because there is a non-zero chance and this just could be some holdover uh from the old regimes fogging my brain but there's like a chance that we just got lucky this was a fluke or whatnot there actually wasn't really what we thought was there is there but we'll find out and uh I'm worried but like not too worried that I'll have to go and give that whole spiel when it comes because you know, I I was kind of having that in my head if we would have lost any of the last three games and we didn't. So, yeah, and I think I think that that's like I went in thinking this was the weekend. I was I was relieved that we didn't pod last week. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you because potting up into this Purdue game was gonna be so difficult. You know, after Illinois and Michigan, it was like, well, the things we thought would happen happened there. Boy, it would be nice to beat this Northwestern team. But this Purdue game was like, are we real or not? And we were very, very real. And that feels good. And like, what real means in Lincoln is not, is this going to be a ranked team? (laughs) What real means in Lincoln is, are you able to just handle your business right now? And as embarrassing as that is for the state of the state of the fan base overall, it's less embarrassing than not being able to handle it. Yep. So absolutely. I am about out of time. Is there anything you else you want to shout out real quick? Go snakes. Yeah. Just a, a quick touch on the world series. Like may, maybe I'll write about this, but probably not since I haven't had time to like sit down and start to finish a game. I've just kind of been picking it up when I've uh, been yeah, doing other things, here. but like 
this World Series is the most I have been, like, in love with baseball as a sport in a while. Even watching these Rangers is fun. Like, this is a yes. fun Rangers team. And that that walk-off the first night was, I didn't want it to happen, but at the same time, it was electric. That was one of the most incredible baseball games I've ever seen. And it's like, I, I think the Astros uh just kind of clouded my entire field of vision for just the World Series the past a few years since they've been on their little run. And part of, and a large part of that is just Yankees salt. But another large part of that is just, I just don't find them interesting to look at at all, even if they lose. I don't re- really feel good watching somebody beat them because I, they're not even an interesting team to see lose. Whereas this series has like, it's, I have no emotional stake in it. I'd rather see the Diamondbacks win, but the Rangers are a really fun team and they've never won one before. So that would be good too. Like I can just watch this for the baseball that it is, which I haven't done. Cause even in the past world series where I had a rooting interest, like the Cubs or the Royals bandwagon or what have you, you know, the, those were like, it would be fun if this team won wasn't fun to beat the Astros or be the Astros. So, yeah, it's like this is just pure baseball for the sake of baseball. And it's like I don't – I didn't realize how little of that I had had until I watched game one. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Long live baseball. And also, if you're one of the people who went on Twitter when we found out this was going to be the match, we were like, these aren't marquee franchises. Shut up. You are antithetical to what baseball is about. And you are antithetical to what? And this is hard to say, but God, this has been a fun season. And God, Rob Manfred, the new rule changes, they worked. I mean, it's, it's, it's time to say it and it's time to give credit where credit is due. I'm hopeful that he will continue to, you know, improve as a human being and, um, and the first step would be doing something about Oakland this offseason. I, I, like, without a trace of irony in my voice, keeping the A's in Oakland would do a lot for baseball in where baseball needs to be. So, anything else super pressing? No, and, like, just one last piggyback off the baseball rules thing. I was initially against the extra wildcard teams, but after seeing a sizable portion of people complain that the Diamondbacks shouldn't be in the World Series... Yeah, it's uh, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They're there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, keep, keep these rules because it makes losers complain that, oh, they, they only won 86 games. They can't possibly be one of the best teams in, ba-. well, they are. They quite yeah. simply are one of the best teams in baseball. They're, they're, they're very possibly the answer backs will be the best team in baseball and nothing yeah. would be sweeter. So yeah. anyway, good pod. Take care, man. Nice talking to you. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.